Once again, it's on. I'm Azel. And I'm Elliot. And we are Those Boys on the Hill. And this is where we share our personal experiences of growing up in the foster care system. And as always, we have our dear friend, the middle-aged white woman, Janelle. Hi there. Um, you know, we, we just got notification that uh, our guest for the podcast is unable to attend. You guys saw in an earlier post that uh, his son uh, was missing. And unfortunately, that is still the case. Uh, we send our hopes and prayers out to Rob Shear and his family for the safe return of his son. And unfortunately, we're going to have to push back his appearance on the podcast. Yeah, that, that's really a shame. You know, um, as much as I was looking forward to having him on, I understand and we understand that the, um, you know, there's other things out there. There's real life stuff, you know, this is, this is serious as the love, the love for your child is, I mean, I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine mm-hmm. your child missing and then trying to even remotely function. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, how do you function? Right. <clears throat> I, I wouldn't, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad he considered it. I'm glad he considered us. Uh, but at the same time, um, you know, nothing but, you know, prayers and thoughts of a safe return. Yeah, Absolutely. it's the only thing you can really focus on that. Yeah, well, yeah. we'll connect again. I'm sure if we if we connect again this summer, we'll we'll put out his interview midsummer and forget about the seasons. And and if he doesn't, then we'll pick up again in the fall. And I'm sure we'll yeah get a chance to talk to him. Um, uh, Elliot, you read his book, right? I did. I did. Yeah, yeah. So did I. I listened to the audio version of it, and he Me was too. actually the reader of the book. Uh, I, I, I like that because um, you get to hear the true raw emotion of the words written by the author. And uh, there are moments in there where I, I know that, that there were probably multiple takes to try to get through a segment of, of what he was talking about. It was, it was really good. Was there anything in particular that resonated with you as part of his story? You know, here's the thing is that the, the stories they uh, they echo. Yeah. Hear the same concerns. You hear the aging out concern and 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 being blindsided by what that means. And you know, um, he endured so many different things, uh, types of abuse. But he arrived somewhere with a trash bag, left somewhere with a trash bag, and that's all far too common. And it had me thinking about what I could do that would be on a platform if I ever got to to a place where um, I had that, that type of backing support and everything like that. And man, the aging out thing just kind of stuck. Man, if I could just find a couple of places where you could spec it out with apartments, and and when you have college kids that 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 need a place to stay for the summer, they're not we're not sleeping on the floors of, of friends and family. You know, we're not family, but friends mm-hmm. and looking for the charity of their parents to do something for us. Um, it would be really nice to have a, a, a facility that would allow, you know, somebody to come stay and not have to worry about it during that really difficult transition period. Yeah, when, an independent when... living uh, living place. But even for, for the college student that doesn't have a place to go for the summer. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I lived, uh, when I went to Westchester and I lived in one of the dorms, but that summer, 
I came, I came back home and I slept on the floor of, you know, the Wu's house mm-hmm. uh, for, for the whole summer. And, yeah. and then I went back to school. And then the next summer, I think I had an apartment because I worked like four jobs because I wasn't going to do that again. You slept on the floor. I slept in the tub one night. <laughs> he did. Who said I woke up in a drunken stupor and they put me in a tub because I was going to try and pee on the floor. Oh my God. Yeah. Do you really need to share that? What? Why not? <laughs> Why not? So, so they put me in the tub. And the crazy part about me waking up, right? Because all they, they were like all sleeping, right? And there's like people laying all over the floors and all they hear is zip. Oh, <laughs> I'm about to let loose. And Alan grabbed me and they put me in a tub. And when I woke up, I looked up. And the faucet is like literally right above my head. So the only thing I could say to people was, yo, who the hell put me in this tub? They were like, well, you was about to pee all over the floor. And I was just like, yeah, but if I would have woke up, I'd have killed myself. I'd have killed, <laughs> you gotta put my head on the other side. <laughs> I don't know, if I'd have hit my toe on that thing or my shin, that would have hurt too, but. Would have had more stitches in your forehead there. I, I know, right? I don't need yeah. another scar. You know, oh, I don't need more angel kisses on my face. But but yeah, I do remember those days of sleeping on somebody's floor. And I remember my address at West Virginia University was my granddad's address in the, uh, you know, in the, in the student handbook or whatever it was, a student directory. What do you mean it was your granddad's address? I had to give an address. I didn't, oh, I mean, oh, oh, okay, I got you. Like, where do I live? I don't live at the home. I got you. Mm. Right, right, right. Oh, so I just needed any address. So I gave my granddad's address. Oh, did that get you in-state tuition? Well, no, I was out of state. <laughs> oh, is that, oh, okay, right. Okay. But, I, you know, I got to say I live somewhere. Yeah. You know, I can't give the, the current dormitory address that they gave me. They're going to be like, no, stupid. <laughs> What's your home address? I'm like, I'm living it. Right. Well, you know what? Um, When I applied for all of that, you know, student aid and all that other stuff, uh, Mm -hmm. one of the questions that they ask is, are you a ward of the court? And yes, they and you answer yes. I mean, but I guess that's all the financial stuff. It's not. Yeah, that's the financial stuff. They just, you know, they ask you all kinds of questions. Wow, that's that's really interesting. I, I, I had the same sort of reaction to the book, especially closer to the end, just like, okay. Is, is this starting to form ideas of what we could do to help? Right. You know, I was thinking same thing as you, Elliot. Oh, you know, there's got to be a way to, to build a home, build a home for that transition period because you're dealing with a completely different set of issues. Yeah. You know, it's being, yes, these are adults technically, right? So the challenges that you would have with the younger kids it's just a different game. Even 24, I mean, kids who are not in the foster system live with their parents now. So what's the average age? I don't know. It's probably like 24 to 27 years it's old. It's like now. 26 now. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Well, yeah, they can stay right. on your benefits until 26. Yeah, so that gap is even widening more, right? So there's even more of a need for this sort of support during those transition years. You spend so much time building the resume to be able to get into a good school, right? And there's no time to really give them 
like some of these other like work fundamentals. My son, I I, I drive it in him, man. Eighteen is not far far along. You 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 don't have a lot more time. You're gonna start working next year. You know what I mean? And I don't know what that means at your mom's house, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if she says, you know, a portion of what you make has to go towards, you know, this, 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 and this, because I got to take care of you, feed you, house you, clothe you, you know? So it's not like you can go out here and continue to buy video games or the next new iPhone, Mm -hmm. you know, you got to stack that money because right now the 529 is, 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 is not in place for you to have your school paid for, you know, and things like that. But then also for the kids who are not on the college path, there is this incredible transition period where healthcare coverage still needed, a place to lay your head, because who can afford rent, right? right? Yeah. I mean, you, there's this period of time to, to absolutely build some savings so that you can put a down payment on anything. That's what selling drugs is for. Oh, yeah. So it just pushes. That's what returning to the city that's that's yep. what slinging packets is for, you know, so you can make the quick buck to get yep. you through. Because because when you leave the home, you got to get a car. You got to go yeah. ahead and find a place to live. You need that. You know, you might even have certain relationships. You got to you got to go ahead and have a couple dollars in your pocket. And the only way to do that, you know. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I, I could work a real job, but. Where do I have to go to work a real job and and keep it and be able to manage all these things that are on my plate? Right. With no guidance and training and all that. And, and that's the key. Yeah. The guidance yeah. is the hard part. The guidance is the hard part. I did not go to Penn State University fresh out of high school because I was told that they were racist up there. You hear that? Hmm. And and I wanted to go to Oklahoma University. I applied there, got in there. I wanted to go in there because I liked their basketball teams in the eighties. <laughs> right. You know, this is this is what I'm thinking. Yeah. This is literally what I'm thinking. I took entry exams at Temple University and Shippensburg, just because I was like, I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Yeah. I had no clue what I wanted to do. Now, luckily for me. I had a lot of options. I had friends at every school that I was like, I'll go there because you're going there. Right. And eventually when I said I was going to West Virginia university, the guy wanted the track coach wanted to give me some money, give me a scholarship. When I called him up and said, I'm coming all at the last minute, all wrong. He looked at me and said, it's all gone. I don't have a scholarship. Mm -hmm. He said, you got to earn your spot. I was like, Oh my Lord, how am I going to do that? Yeah, because no, nobody was helping you navigate. No one's helping us navigate. And it's and it's tough in that regard when it says no one, because there's plenty of people, you know, there's the Gellners of the world. There's right. the Miss Pennypackers of the world. There's a, the, you know, there, there's everyone of the world that said, go to college, go mm-hmm. to college, go to college. But there's no blueprint, yeah. you know? I filled out my own FAFSA. I filled out my own applications. Yeah. Right. You know, I was I was trying to figure it out. I was doing what uh, what my friends were doing. They were all going to college. They were on that track. But I was doing everything that I thought I had to do to make me successful in life. But I had no clue what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I was scared. Right. You know, I was living with Alan Wu. I had no my brothers at Westchester. My other brother is. I think Jock was in Germany at the time or something like that. 
and everyone at the home is looking up to me, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm the smart kid that is going somewhere, but how yeah. am I getting there? Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's so, so much opportunity to just get a little bit stuck, a little bit roadblock and then have that everything falls to pieces. That's all it takes. And there you, I mean, yeah, you, right. you literally, it, it, it is literally a Lego on the floor and you step mm -hmm. on let me, it. Let mm -hmm. me tell you the blessings of the world. That coach told me, come and earn it. I could be a, um, a walk on. And he said, you need to come here and get here at 7 a.m., come to the stadium, and I need you to run a certain time in a 200 and a 400. You run those two times, then I'm going to put a financial package for you for the fall, and then the scholarship will be back for you when it comes to the spring. I was like, wow. oh, okay, great. So the blessing is, is that I got hit by a car when I was five years old. So at the age of 18, my mom took me to, to the bank and got me in my bank book with my balance. I was able to get a car at a couple of dollars in the bank, but me being who I am, you know, you spend it. I spent it on Alan Wu. I spent it on Donnie Sullivan. I spent it on everybody that was taking care of me all those years. I was like, I got you. I can finally buy you, you know, a six pack of Taco Bell, you know, Taco Bell tacos because you always took care of me, you know? So I went to West Virginia and thank God for Jock Lover. He was like, I'm riding with you. You know, I map quested it, <laughs> you know, the four hour ride on paper. So that, in, that insurance money that you got from your accident, that when you turned 18, you were able to get, right? Yeah. Did you blow all of it or did you save enough of it so that you actually had something to... I gave something to Elliot, Jock, and my mom that same uh -huh. day. Wow. And I bought a car. Uh-huh. And I've always been fairly, as my daughter say, frugal. <laughs> um, I've always been fairly frugal. But, you know, you just spend it slowly. I'm not a spender of, of large things or, or frivolous things. I, I spend it on food. And anyone else going through the system comes out with, I guess, in the state of Pennsylvania, Elliot, you experienced, I don't know what it is today, you experienced a somewhat of a stipend when you were 18 they gave me it gave me a 400 dollar a month stipend um Got it. and this was from the age of 18 to it's until um it was supposed to be until 22 and is this only if you were going to college or is this something that it was transition for all foster kids no this was this was associated with me going to school it wasn't like like if i went into the military that, that wouldn't have happened. Isel aged out and made a move and then they were like, no. And so he, I, they gave him a choice. Yeah, they basically said I needed to stay through graduation. When I said, it's the same thing, I'm staying through 18. And they said, you need to stay through graduation. I said, I'm leaving, bye. But they never ever said to me that they were ever going to give me a stipend or mm -hmm. I was going to go ahead and uh, forego my opportunity at receiving one. They kept all that info to themselves. Okay. But I don't know, and I don't know if I ever got into that with him, but I, I, I clearly recall turning 19 and the social worker kind of basically re-upped it. It was like, okay, we're going to do it again. You, uh -huh. you know, as long as you're not in jail or 
you know, you're any any of these things, right? You're staying in school. Yeah. We're going to do it again. I think this is really something for us to look into. It's some research we could do this summer, kind of figure out what happens in Pennsylvania. Is there a transition program? Is there any sort of stipend involved? Are there differences if, if the foster kid is going for a higher education or not? Listen, you know what we haven't talked about at all right what? now, this entire season? What? How wonderful um, the middle-aged white woman is? Well, we're going to get to <laughs> okay. that. Okay. We're going to get to that. Some <laughs> things, talk about some it. Some things just go without saying. <laughs> okay. We haven't really talked about mental health. Oh. Mental hmm. health. Like, you know, it's... Maybe I'm avoiding that issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I don't want to make okay. you two cry. Go ahead, talk about it. No, no. I mean, I, you know, it, I'm not saying I want to talk about it. I'm just saying it is a major topic. We're talking about aging out. And we're talking about where are these kids going and how are they going to manage? You know what I'm saying? A lot of these kids that are going through the home, they got some real issues. They got real problems. And then when they're trying to figure out what to do next, that mental health kicks in, you know, mm-hmm. that, that instability. And it, it, takes, it takes a while to get yourself straight. So maybe maybe next season we'll um, we'll see if we can focus on on that subject a little bit. Oh, yeah, you guys talk about all of the psychologists and social workers and things, but what's di- what's a problem is the disconnection, right? So you might have a ton of different people, yeah, but no one person following your case no. the way through. No. That's something that Phyllis I- Williams, what? <laughs> that was that caseworker, what? That was, you're right. How do you remember that? Yeah, well, you know. Was that was the name of a caseworker? That's the name of our caseworker. Oh, okay. From Department of Human Services. So she followed us everywhere, but we never saw her. Only saw her in court. Oh, okay. Yeah. One of the things that I've heard Rob Shear mention on his podcast had to do with something called CASA workers. I remember hearing that on, I don't know what a, a CASA worker there you go. Yeah, go ahead. I got you. Go ahead. A CASA worker is a court-appointed special advocate volunteer. Okay. CASA volunteers are sworn officers of the court appointed by, uh, by a juvenile court judge to advocate for children who are living in foster care as a result of abuse or neglect. Mm. And, and quite honestly, for our situation and some of the things that we went through, we could have very well went that path as well. Yeah. Uh, if not for... You know, the the probably the last, I mean, the first eight, nine years of our lives, but that last year of just the things that we were being moved from one place to the next place, to the next place, to the next place with, you know, and it seems like the intervals were getting shorter and shorter or the patience of the people that we were living, whose houses we were living under were getting shorter and shorter or just the abilities, you know, financially and space-wise, there just wasn't enough to be able to keep us with the family. Well, it doesn't help when somebody has a stroke right there with you. Well, no, it doesn't. That, didn't that was help. your your aunt? <laughs> aunt Doll. She wasn't in the family, but And it wasn't a stroke. She 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 was she was ODing. It wasn't a stroke. She had a needle in her arm from I I don't know um what happens to Izel's memory about, but I mean it's weird. It, it happened twice in the same day. She did it. And then she she shot up and then she started screaming and hollering because a body went into a, a drug-induced rigor 
And then it came out of that. She, you know, the muscles stopped tensing and she went to take another hit of this drug that she was injecting into her vein and the rigor didn't go away and they had to carry her down those steps that way. Did you guys ever do drugs? I, yeah. Well, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I didn't mean, like like did you guys ever do heart hard stuff? Like huh? cuz you see it, you've seen it, right? Oh. Have, you, have you ever shot a needle in your arm? No, no, no. You know what's funny? Ellie and I have seen everything um up and down the pike and um we've never done anything. Well, not anything. Okay. Well, I've never smoked a thing in my life. You never smoked weed? I've never smoked a thing in my life. Oh, interesting. Okay. So no, no weed, no cigarettes, no nothing. Yeah, of course. Okay. But, but, you know, but I've walked into the room and there might be five to 10 pounds of weed on a table. Mm -hmm. I got in trouble for that. How's that? (laughs) Because, uh... There was a, a boyfriend of uh, our mother, and he had a whole bunch of weed on the table. Okay. He was packaging it up to be able to distribute this. And I grabbed a portion of that, and I, I was just, I don't know how old I was, but I flushed it down the toilet. And, ah, uh, he beat my ass. You don't go ahead and touch somebody else's supply? I was like, I don't know. I don't know how old I was. I don't but... know what happens to your memory sometimes. Wait, what you know are what you saying? holding up? A cigar? That, that's a cigar. I don't have a humidor yet. That's coming up next. But since I think Izell had Giselle um, and I brought, a, I brought a couple of cigars. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, man, we'll smoke these as a celebratory thing for, for whatever. He was like, oh, hell no. Nah. But I've smoked a cigarette. I've smoked cigars um, just in social situations and stuff like that. I smoke some candy cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, with that little pink tip. Yeah. Exhale. All right, so what do you think is the reason? Uh, my reasons are simple. What? Mm-hmm. Um, I was an athlete. I always had asthma real bad as a youngster. Okay. So I just, it was simple for me. Mm-hmm. I'm a runner. Okay, well, inhaling any smoke for me is, is going to be counterproductive to what I'm all about. It ain't look good for the asthma. It ain't good for the, uh, it ain't good for the running. Mm-hmm. I also think that you're in a situation where you both are like somewhat of leaders, right? Other kids tend to follow you. So you probably never like, am I right to suggest that you never really felt compelled by the peer pressure? Yeah, peer pressure. No, no that ain't yeah. a thing. That happened with no. me too. I, I never felt, I never felt like I had to. It's crazy. I was listening <laughs> Joel Olstein yesterday. He's a pastor. He was telling a story about two sons who grew up with a, a a father that did drugs. One son started doing drugs, and the other one didn't. When he asked them, "Why did you do drugs?" he said, "Because my father did it." The other one said, "Because my father did it." Oh, interesting. Same reason. Yeah. It was the same reasons that they did it. I got to watch uh, a good portion of what that was all about and never wanted to do that to my kids. I might drink and they may may see me a little tipsy or something to that effect. No. But some of the other... (laughs) Get out of town. You know, um, 
Oh. I'm gonna throw this lemon at you. Yeah, go, right here. go ahead. It's gonna bounce off the screen and hit you and hit me back. Right? <laughs> Wait, it's all right. I throw it and you see it hit him. That'd be funny. But, um, you know, you but go down and it's a slippery slope, right? We have a history of, of, of addiction yeah. that's generational. But when you're a kid, people are experimenting. You're not consciously thinking that, oh, yeah. I have a family history of it. I better not. Yeah, no. I'm not thinking that. No, you're not thinking that. It never made sense to me. I always felt like the adults in our family looked like they always needed a V8 because they were always stumbling around. Like they always seemed like they were always tilted. (laughs) He said a V8. I ain't drinking that either. (laughs) (laughs) You know the commercial. I know. I know. Hey, Isaiah, speaking of food, you know, we got an event coming up on Saturday. Yes, we do. Hey, everybody, we're going to be doing Those Boys on the Grill Facebook Live event. It is our season finale. We want to invite everyone that listens to come and enjoy. We want to hear what your favorite episode was. We want to hear about your favorite moments. If you have questions, ask them. We want to laugh. We want to be able to enjoy ourselves. And for those who would really like to know how to prepare the meal that we're going to prepare, we've actually put the menu and the ingredient list on our webpage. They're also on the Facebook page. We would love for you guys to join us and cook this meal with us and enjoy the season finale of Those Boys in the Hill first season. Cook it with us. Saturday night, 6.30 to 8.30. Boom. Be there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm looking forward to it because I just get to watch, right? Yeah. I get to watch, eat, and enjoy. I thought we had a sous chef. Wait. No, 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 that's not me. Oh. No, maybe Larry will slide in for that. I think you're going to make an appearance. I'll make an appearance. Oh, definitely. I'll make an definitely. appearance, and I'll also watch the Facebook feed and keep up with the comments, make sure you guys know what's coming in. We'll just keep yeah. referring right. to you off camera, because, you know, you'll be like that that person on, like, Kelly Ripper. Yeah, you'll have your aprons on. Yeah. Yep, something. Yep. <laughs> something. Isel said something about being chest naked under his oh my chest God. naked. Please no. I'm All like right. an ode then- to Corey. <laughs> we, we just owed to Corey. <laughs> All right. Chest naked up in here. Listen, you know, I got a problem with people that cook chest naked. I got a problem with people that don't have Armpit all their hair? clothes on. Like, yo. Put some clothes on. If I walk in your house and you're cooking food for me and you don't have a shirt on, that that says already that you're not frying any food. First of all, I was going to say, wait, wait, frying bacon and frying bacon. You ain't popping bacon off your chest. Let's leave the shirts on. I'll see y'all Saturday. Yes, you got it. (laughs) You got it. And that's a wrap for the season. You know it. Yeah, that's it. It's a celebration. It's a celebration. All right. Have a good night, you guys.